today on Ag News Daily. I think we're really kind of working our way towards the tail end of everything. I think the trade expectations, what, 87% or something, 90% on soybeans and over half on corn nationally. So I, I think we're you know, pretty much there. Good afternoon, listeners. It's a Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast with Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's your Monday looking? My Monday is looking good. We got some more snow over the weekend and uh, seeing some colder temperatures today, but I am bundled up inside just looking at the snow. So I'm okay with that. You know, you can really tell that I'm a Texas girl because we got some sleet and just a very light layer of ice last night and early this morning in Lubbock. And I went to a doctor's appointment early this morning and I stepped up on, you know, the little stepping stool, I guess you can call it, getting into my pickup. And I slid right off of it because I am totally not used to ice. So my Wednesday or my Wednesday, see my Monday, it it got off to a little bit of a rocky start. It is definitely sounding like it is a Monday for you. Absolutely. I'm already thinking that it's Wednesday, so it's been pretty long. (laughs) Well, it's going to be a long week then, Ashton, but it's also going to be a long week uh, for the markets because we got off on a little bit of a rocky start today in the wheat markets. And I want to chat markets here just a little bit. There's a few pieces of news I think our listeners should be aware of before we talk more in depth with Angie Sutzer here coming up in just a little bit. But Friday, Ashton, we had the cattle on feed report. And really the big takeaway from that report was that with expanding drought conditions across a lot of our grazing pastures, we've seen an increase in the amount of number of cattle that are headed or in feedlots. As of October 1st, 11.7 million head of cattle are now in feedlots, up 5.9% from this time last year. Also, the largest number of cattle in feedlots for the month of September ever since the USDA has started keeping track of those figures are in 1996, if you're keeping track there. So it's going to put some potential pressure on our supplies, on our packers in the months coming up. And uh, short term, we saw December live cattle futures drop 4.7% last week, the biggest move in nearly six months. Well, Delaney, that's certainly not exciting news to hear on this Monday, seeing that it is the biggest downturn in the past six months. But I also have some livestock news myself, but it is concerning Turkey. The demand for for Turkey is expected to kind of decline as we are, of course, still in the coronavirus pandemic. And there's concerns that this demand will, will hurt turkey producers as the holiday season is approaching. And it kind of hit home for me because I love gathering on the table with my family on Thanksgiving and even Christmas eating a turkey dinner. But I'm definitely keeping an eye out on what's this going to do to the turkey market and how turkey producers are really feeling because not only is the turkey demand expected to really decline, the demand for smaller birds is what is what, what turkey producers are keeping their eye out on because as families are going to have or expected to have smaller gatherings because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. they're expecting that they're going to want smaller birds, of course, but, you know, you can't really go back and 
produce smaller birds. Yeah. Can't really, you know, predict something like this, of course, as we have seen, you know, over the past couple of months, but definitely something that I am wanting to keep my eye out on, especially since we talked to a turkey producer not too long ago on the podcast. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, Ashton. I mean, I suppose that our turkey producers were, you know, getting their birds ready for a nice holiday season, thinking they're going to make big, fat, nice turkeys. And you're right. Smaller gatherings are going to push people, I would say, to buy smaller birds. I am happy to buy a large turkey and eat that. I will support turkey producers, but uh, yeah, I suppose smaller birds might be a little harder to find this holiday season. Yeah, it's definitely not something that I thought about. I, of course, thought about, you know, different aspects of agriculture that are going to be hurting as coronavirus cases are on the rise again. But thinking about smaller birds or smaller portions or what have you is definitely not something that I was really thinking about as folks aren't gathering in, in big places anymore. No, but it's, I suppose that that definitely makes sense, Ashton. But I tell you what, I've got another piece of market, uh, somewhat market related news, more trade news here, as we continue to monitor phase one trade agreement with China. The US Trade Representative's office put out a statement that said, China has actually made good on quite a few of their intended purchases for year one of the phase one agreement. So far, they've bought to date $23 billion worth in American agricultural goods, which is about 71% of their intended target, which is again that $36.5 billion in 2020. They said, USTR said that outstanding sales of corn, soybeans, sorghum, and a few other top commodities like pet food, alfalfa hay, pecans, and peanuts have contributed to the largest portion of these phase one trade deals. So it appears that China is on track uh, to make their phase one trade deal here for 2020, especially as we continue to watch them step in and purchase cranes in mass supplies, which we're going to talk a little bit more about with Angie Setzer here later on. Well, Delaney, that bit about pecans is definitely interesting to me. I've Every house I think that I've ever lived in, we've had pecan trees on it. So I'm a big pecan fan, definitely not a pecan producer or anything like that. But that is, you know, good to hear that we're we're on track with that trade deal. But I just have one other piece of news for today, and it's concerning ethanol production in India. Ethanol production and consumption in India, which is the world's third largest fuel market. And I believe, let me see this number. Yep. They are the fifth largest ethanol producer. They are expected to increase quickly in the coming years as the government seems keen to push the industry to higher blend rates. Abhishna Verma, who is the general director for Indian Sugar Millers Association, said plants in the country are expected to boost ethanol production from 1.9 billion liters in 2020 to 3 billion liters in 2021 on the way to meet a government target of adding 10% of ethanol to gasoline by 2022. 
And so I definitely thought this was interesting as India is on the rise, I guess, to to produce more ethanol. And I don't know what this will do to the ethanol market or what this means for U.S. ethanol producers, but it's definitely something that I want to keep my eye out on in the coming weeks. And, you know, since they have this timeline planned out by adding 10% of ethanol to gas by 2020, definitely going to be something long term that I want to continue to talk about. Absolutely, Ashton. And one other thing that I'm glad we will not have to talk about for all that much longer is the elections coming up here. We have a couple different polls put out by a couple different news organizations, but uh, this one here from DTN shows that according to the Zogby Analytics election poll, 53% of adults living in rural America are approved or approve, excuse me, of the president's work, including his handling of the coronavirus outbreak. Um, we also show that 11% of rural adults are undecided about their choice for president. 42% of rural residents and farmers strongly or somewhat disapprove of the president's job performance. And more rural adults, about 39%, told the poll that agriculture is worse off than it was four years ago. So it sounds like a pretty mixed bag here when it comes to rural America and their thoughts about President Trump heading into this election, which could make for some interesting waters come next week when we have election results. It's hard to believe that just one week away and we are going to see who our next president is. Yeah, Delaney. And Earlier before we were recording our, our intro, when you were talking with Angie, she had mentioned that the election was just eight days away. And I kind of like took a breath in because I didn't realize how far along we already were in the year. It definitely took me by mm-hmm. surprise, but I'm actually kind of excited. You know, we've been talking about the election and neither of us are really super into the election or have been paying, you know, too much attention you know, close attention to the debates or anything like that. But I'm a little bit excited to see what the outcome is. Yes. And I put in my absentee ballot. So I am allowed to voice my complaints if I ever have any, because I have at least participated in the system. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. And mostly I'm just excited to get past all the election crap. I hate receiving all the direct mailers in the in the mail. They go straight into my trash can and I'm just ready to move past this. I certainly am as well, Delaney, but I'm all out of news for the day. What about you? I'm out as well, except chatting markets. Ashton, what do you say? Let's hop into them. All right. Well, let's tee things up here nicely for Angie as we head into chatting markets and uh, corn. Starting off here, traded nicely throughout the day. They finished just off Slightly as the December corn contract lost a penny and a half to close at 417 and three quarters, the March down a penny and three quarters to end at 418 and a half. Soybeans put on for the day as November added four cents to close at 1086 and three quarters, January up two and a half to close at 1083 and a half. Wheat pulled back significantly across all three complexes today as the Chicago wheat contract down 12 and three quarter centicles at 620. The March down 12 and a quarter tickles at 620 and a quarter. And in the KC wheat, they also had big moves to the downside as December closed down 17 and three quarters cents to close at 552. The March down 17 to close at 559 and a half. In the livestock pits, we saw some mixed trade today as the 
live cattle complex ended lower, feeders ended higher. December live cattle up, excuse me, down 17 and a half cents to close at 103.40. The February losing 22 cents to close at 106.40. In the feeder cattle pits, November adding 92 cents to close at 130.57. January up $1.22 to close at 126.77. Lean hogs also higher on the day as the December contract added 72 and a half cents to close at 67.75. The February up 72 cents to close at 67.65. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures, November adding 50 cents today to close at 22.69, December adding three quarters to close at 20.91. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Angie Setzer. Well, as promise we are talking to the fabulous Angie Setzer at Goddess of Grain on Twitter today about the markets. Angie, how are things looking up in your neck of the woods? Have you guys gotten any snow yet? No snow here, thank goodness. It's one of those things that we get uh, get the benefit of the lake from. It keeps us a little bit warmer when everyone out west is cold. That was the the hardest adjustment for me living in Iowa was now having the lake kind of mitigating those low temperatures in October and November, but no snow, just a lot of rain last week. We caught a couple inches of rain that we could have like, you know, gladly waited 10 days, get all the beans out. Uh, but it looks like we'll be dry here the rest of the week and in the next week. So I guess we'll, we'll keep hammering on it as soon as we can. I'm a little jealous. We've actually had two snowfalls. Well, three snowfalls now, actually. I've been watching. I'm like, if we were out in Iowa and Carl's like, I know. So we're just both <laughs> sitting here enjoying the lack of snow cover. Yeah, I don't blame you one bit. But, um, you know, that snow cover has maybe undoubtedly pushed harvest for a few folks as of last week. What are you expecting to see on today's crop progress report? I think we're really kind of working our way towards the tail end of everything. I think the trade expectations, what, 87% or something, 90% on soybeans and over half on corn nationally. So I, I think we're, you know, pretty much there. There's a lot of folks that I'm seeing that are, are wrapping up, you know, out west in places maybe where they haven't caught the rain for us the last couple of weeks have been a little bit wetter. So we're we're not behind average. We're actually well ahead of where we've been the last couple of years. So I can't complain one one little bit, but, uh, you know, we're just getting started with corn here. Uh, but nationally, I think everyone's just kind of been uh, rolling right along as they can and, and getting it wrapped up. So I wouldn't be surprised to see us well over half on corn and, uh, you know, close to 90% on beans. And let's talk about corn, Angie, because I think the last time you had we had you on a month, month and a half ago now, uh, we weren't quite as bullish as maybe where we are today. But you look at, uh, I mean, today was a slight pullback, but you look here over the past few weeks, and we've been putting in new contract highs pretty religiously here in the December corn yeah. contract. Where is this thing going to top out at? Well, I know, you know, 424 was the high side that we had seen during the rally of 2019. And so a lot of folks are kind of saying that that might be the target that these this market has in mind. However, I have seen a couple of people mention that aren't necessarily what you would call your average ag trader, you know, because right now we're getting a lot of outside attention, you know, on these market structures here. I've seen a couple of folks say, oh, you know, sell wheat, buy corn. Um, and I was like, oh, I can't even anymore, you know, because a lot of this stuff from a fundamental standpoint maybe doesn't necessarily make a 
a whole bunch of sense at the very least to be up this way. Like I, I totally understand. And, and that's one of the things that we have to deal with here is that there is a lot of money flow. There's the idea of inflation um, and inflationary pressure coming into this market structure. Obviously, there's the thought process that China is going to have to import a, a whole bunch more corn than what the official numbers are saying. And so that alone is kind of keeping this thing, you know, really on track to, to be bought and continue to be bought. You know, I, however, am a little bit more concerned on what you're going to see take place here when it comes to to domestic demand. I mean, we're only uh, 14 months removed from the middle part of last summer where everyone had to, you know, when the market broke um, into that, uh, the the, the reduced planting and reduced production. And, you know, we had really rallied on the idea that we were going to see a significant reduction in supply and prices had gone up and basis had gone up. And suddenly everyone was being chastised for forgetting how elastic corn demand can be from a, a domestic standpoint with ethanol and with feed and things like that. Um, and so now here we, we sit and we're bullish forever on, on, you know, significant exports. Now, Obviously, you cannot step in front of a freight train, and that's what this thing is right now. Um, and so every day we kind of come in, you know, waiting to see what the the market structure is going to look like at the end of the day. And today, though we were down a couple, it was still a pretty strong day. We closed almost five off the the low. Um, you know, the market really didn't get dragged down too awful much with wheat being down 13. Beans were stronger. Your your uh, spreads are are working their way towards an inversion. You got a decent or a July decent inversion of 22 cents there. So I mean, none of that stuff you could say is is uh, horribly bearish at this point. This still strong is down a couple today, but I mean overall everything looks like it just wants to to continue to trade trade stronger or trade higher. Um, though I am a little nervous what this week will play out with the presidential election here, you know, in in eight days. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to see what happens there. But Angie, to pick up on your analogy of the freight train, I mean, China has been stepping in and hauling stuff away from our shores to theirs, especially on the corn side of things, which is somewhat unusual for their demand. But at some point, doesn't mm -hmm. this train have to stop from them? You would think, um, you know, I'm I'm really intrigued to see what the the end game is in all of this. Now, uh, on one side, you could easily say they run themselves out of food. They didn't have the supply they said they had. They, you know, basically have used far more than what they had available to them, and and they did it to themselves, and now they have to buy. Um, you know, I for one think they're they're too smart for that. Um, you know, I think they, they, you know, basically have a count on, on every kernel or close to every kernel that's out there. And, and, you know, it, it makes me wonder what, like I said, what the, the end game is, but obviously, you know, what is it? Oxen's razor that the, the simplest, uh, simplest solution is probably the right one. And, and that would be, yeah, they, they have less supply available than what they thought they would. And so at this point in time, the market just has to believe that China is going to continue to import. There's been conversation that Costco, you know, basically got a, a secondary um, uh, allowance to, to import another 5 million metric ton, which would put them in line with, you know, where current uh, expectations are. Um, you know, there's also been some conversation of additional tonnage beyond that. So we just kind of have to wait and see. But the, the biggest thing for me is, is, uh, I just really struggle with, it feels too easy. Um, and, 
nothing's ever easy, right? And so all of a sudden we just went from, you know, oh, they're never going to meet the phase one trade deal and we're never going to get along again, yada, 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 to now we're pinning a lot of these hopes on on Chinese demand. And it just, they feel like Charlie Brown, you know, and Lucy with the football here. So, um, you know, it's hard for me to, to really buy in that we have to trade much higher. But I will say that obviously if China... Um, continues to to stand on it and continues to take delivery of these purchases that they've made, then obviously the market's going to have to strengthen until it finds a a place where it's it's too strong and we stop that demand from from showing up. And right now we haven't seen it, so we just kind of keep on rolling. Angie, is eleven dollars or twelve dollars soybeans out of the question? No, I mean you can't. We're within fourteen cents of that today. Thirteen cents of that on no twenty. Um, you know that would put us into that eleven dollar mark. And and really, when it comes down to it, from a technical standpoint, there's not a whole lot of of uh, um, resistance. You know, I think eleven dollars is a psychological resistance just because it's a, a big round number. Um, you know, but this they could try to to probe it a little bit higher if they wanted to. I feel like. Um, you know, most bull markets die in euphoria. And so we really haven't had that feeling of a blow off top yet, um, which, you know, could give us some of that opportunity above 11 or so. A lot of it's going to depend on what's going on with South America, obviously. I think the forecast looks better for the main growing areas. Southern parts of Brazil and Argentina are going to be pretty dry. Uh, I struggle, though, uh, you know, on the, the concern of Argentina dryness expectations. A week ago, we were rallying in soybean meal and in beans because of the lack of ability in Argentina to export, lack of farmer sales, some issues with their ports, et cetera, et cetera. And so does a smaller crop in Argentina really matter if they aren't exporting anyway? You know, kind of the dog tail wagging the dog sort of idea there. But uh, until we feel confident with the Brazilian crop, until we know that it's mostly all in the ground and looking pretty decent, we're probably going to keep some support in this market. Got a lot of people trading it that are trading purely on headlines. And right now you couldn't, you unless we run into a, a, a string of Chinese cancellations, you really would have to say that the headlines are, are somewhat friendly. But, you know, the same thing as corn. <laughs> Eventually, it's probably going to run its course. But um, if you can guess which day that is, then you're you're a better trader than I am because it's it's any anybody's guess at this point when when the, that freight train stops. And it seems like the freight train has at least made a temporary stop when you look at the wheat markets. Both uh, KC, Chicago, and Minneapolis all down big today. Is it just on Russian weather, Russian rain? Yeah, I think, well, I think a little bit of that. I think the Southern Plains wheat, obviously the market structure there is, or the, the weather forecast there is improving with the dryness. You know, we've really seen the, the higher prices push people to plant this wheat even into what you would call less than ideal conditions. Most anyone that actively trades wheat, you know, knows the, the old adage is plant in the dust and the bins will bust. And, you know, you don't really want to mud it in if, if you can avoid that. So the question is, you know, does getting it planted and having record emergence really help us when um, we get a little bit of rain. And that's the biggest thing. Wheat doesn't need a huge amount. We don't need to bust the drought to get wheat a decent start. You know, yeah, the cold temperatures will hurt a little bit. You'd rather have a little bit of rain than a lot of snow and temps in the teens into Texas. But I mean, I think that forecast has changed. I think we all need to be aware of the fact that Australia is looking at 
probably one of the bigger crops that it's seen in in several years here. So, um, you know, does that step in and and kind of fill some of the global gap left by uh, Russia, you know, potentially limiting exports that everyone's wanted to talk about over the last couple of three weeks? I mean, you could really argue right now that wheat's a 75 cents to a dollar, you know, overpriced based on the overall supply and demand. But obviously with the outside money flow and the uncertainty over what new crop production and Chinese demand is going to look like, you're going to see some continued support in that thing as well. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a more decent setback kind of take into, you know, kind of step in here and, and see that market start to shift even lower perhaps from here just as a, a risk off sort of trade with what's taking place with the election. and. Andrew, really quick before I let you go, I want to get your quick takes on a livestock. It seems like the cattle complex is pulling back while the lean hog market feels comfortable where it's at. Yeah, which isn't surprising. I mean, obviously your cattle on feed report, uh, you know, was was higher than and or well came in, you know, exceptionally high. But, you know, obviously we're dealing with drought in the south. So that's going to push um, cattle off from pasture and into lots, uh, you know, and, and as an overall thing, you know, as we went through time, right, cattle tends to struggle with higher corn prices, just in the idea that you really don't want to feed them if you don't have to. Um, you know, and, and so I, cattle's just been struggling. I made a joke the other day. So it seems like no matter, no matter what happens, it's bearish cattle and that feels like it, it continues to, to be that way. Cash has been, you know, mixed. And, and so we'll just have to kind of see what, what the winter weather does. Obviously we're going into what is considered a, a lower seasonal demand, um, as a whole as well. So, uh, hogs are off a little bit. Um, you know, and they continue to be a lot of uh, hog traders remain exceptionally bullish there, um, even though cash has been a little bit weaker here. So it's it's been interesting to see just because cash has been weaker. But uh, those that trade the futures want to see it continue to rally even beyond where it has. So um, we'll see if, if they step in and kind of continue to push it, even though China seems to have made it somewhat clear that they will be slowing those imports simply because they've picked up the, the pace of domestic production. Right. But that does seem somewhat favorable than right for continued grain exports. So I suppose it's kind of a chicken and the egg scenario in that case. Right. Exactly. So we'll just have to see, you know, what what is real and, and what is fantasy in these market structures. And that's that's all we got. You know, I, I mean, it's it's when you get up into these levels, you you know, I, I feel like, you know, it's a joke a little bit, but I call it Wiley Coyote markets where, you know, Wiley Coyote would never fall until he looked down, even if he was off the cliff for a while. And so you feel like you're off the cliff, so to speak, in the sense that these things have, have traded much higher than you thought possible, um, you know, and, and now here we are. So we're just waiting to see if that China's demand, how much of it is is legit. And if all of it is, then you know, to the moon. Awesome. Well, Angie, really quick before we let you go, your uh, Twitter handle and how folks can get a hold of you if they want to chat with you a little bit more in depth. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain, or you can email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com. Fantastic. Well, Angie Setzer, thanks again for chatting markets today. Thanks for having me. Have a good one.
Well, it's always nice to have Angie on the podcast. I love hearing, you know, what she has to say and what our other Market Monday guests have to say each week. And you can listen to those past episodes and future Market Monday episodes on the Ag News Daily podcast website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.